There is nothing we should be quite so grateful for as the last line of a poem that goes, when your own heart asks, be resolved, young samurai, and tell the world what you witness here today. You are young, yes, and untested, but you have shown the strength of character necessary to serve your clan, and the honor of defending these lands will now be yours. What does that mean to you, Roman? Sometimes young samurai were promoted on the battlefield mm. um, in very similar ways that squires could become knights on the battlefield. Yeah. And exemplary service is rewarded with more service. Oh, you did your job really well. Here's more work to do. It's an honor and a privilege to be viewed that way and to be elevated in that fashion. Welcome to our third episode explaining Legend of the Five Rings on the It's a Mimic channel. I'm Megan with me again is Roman. In this episode, we're going to be looking at the various roles that samurai serve in the Empire of Rokugan. So Roman, which of the Empress's servants we'll be learning about today first? We will be learning about Bushi first. Bushi. Well, what are the three first? So we have Bushi, yeah. Courtier, yeah. and Shugenja. Fair. Those are the three roles that comprise the samurai social class. Okay, all right. And each of them is important in their own way. Yeah. Uh, without one of them, the structure falls apart. Mm -hmm. So we're going to start with Bushi. Bushi literally means warrior. A Bushi is a follower of Bushido, the code of honor traditionally held by the samurai case of Rokugan. Being a Bushi entails being your lord's military might. Yeah. Means answering his challenges. Uh, it occasionally means being a bodyguard. Being a Bushi involves offering your life on a daily basis. Yeah. Because of the importance of Bushi to the samurai case, every single clan has at least one Bushi school yeah. that they will sponsor. And all of the Bushi schools are a little bit different. Yeah. As each clan is a little bit different. There are a variety of roles within the Bushi portion of the social case. So there is the Yojimbo, or the bodyguard. It mm -hmm. is your job specifically to protect and guard someone. There are duelists, whose whole job is to engage in uh, Iaijutsu duels, which are one of the main ways of settling disputes in Rokugan. Mm -hmm. uh, there are cavalrymen, there are infantrymen, so on and so on and so forth. But yeah. the Bushi is, again, the main military might of any of the clans. You're a fighter, you're a barbarian, you're a warrior. This is basically your bushi, but like every clan has a different version of Correct. Kind of thing. A a crab clan bushi is very different from a lion clan bushi, which is very different from a phoenix clan bushi. Each of them have different things that they prioritize and choose to embody as a part of their way of the warrior. Yeah. So the crab, because of their responsibility of protecting the great carpenter wall, they typically will choose to fight in ways that are appropriate to fighting monsters, not fighting men. Mm -hmm. uh, where if you look at the dragon, their style of being a warrior is more centered on um, self-improvement and uh, per perfection of their style and, you know, the dueling of other samurai of the empire. Yeah. So depending on which bushi you decide to play, you'll get a bit of a different experience. Mm -hmm. It's like for, for those that play D&D or play any other like role playing game, it's kind of like choosing your, subclass. your class and then your subclass. Yeah. Yeah. So 
Bushi would be your class, and then depending on which clan you were playing, that would determine the subclass of Bushi that you're playing. And what you're learning, right? Yeah. Like, very specifically, dragon clans can be dual wielders, like yeah. Saruchi or archers, like, yeah. but they're all considered Bushi. Yes. Yeah. So what's the role of a Yojimbo? You talked about being someone's bodyguard at some point. Like, is that the highest honor of being a warrior, or is it more being at war? Uh, it varies. Right, okay. you you can earn honor as a warrior in a variety of different ways. Mm-hmm. Um, being the bodyguard to somebody important and dying protecting them means you did your job. Yeah, having your charge die on you means you did not do your job. Mm-hmm. And typically, those yojimbo are reassigned maybe once, and then they're given a different job. Yeah, because if you're a bodyguard who lets your charge die over and over again, you're probably not a great bodyguard. <laughs> you're not good at your job. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, the, again, Kevin, this is your seventh warning. Um, we're going to have to, we're going to have to get you to leave. <laughs> like from castle guard to general to scout, there are a variety of different Bushi roles mm-hmm. and each of them are equally as important. Is there a certain school that's your favorite to kind of include in your games? Ooh. Um, I am a big fan of the Kikita Bushi. Okay. So the, the whole deal with the Kikita is that they are a dueling school mm-hmm. whose whole thing is the quick draw, right? Yeah. You strike once, you strike fast, you strike first. Mm-hmm. And they have a rivalry with the Miramoto, who are the, the two-sword style within the Empire, and it is a rivalry that spans like the history of the Empire. Yeah. So I really like the Kikita, and I typically will play them as being a little bit haughty and a little bit high on themselves and a little bit like, well, no, we're the best because we've always been the best. We are the fastest. Our style and our technique is... Um, you know, without parallel. And whenever I write a Kikita who go, sort of goes against the grain in that way, it is weird for my players. It's a breath of fresh air that like, oh, this dude isn't just a dickhead. Why isn't he a dickhead? Mm-hmm. You know? But I, I, I like the Kikita mechanically as well because they are functional as a combat Bushi, but they excel at dueling. Yeah. I haven't played many Bushi. I played a Mir- I've played a Miramoto, uh, and I've played a Saruchi, and then I did technically play a Bushi, but it was in our homebrew campaign that did not exist within, because I played... Who was the Miramoto you played? Um, that was in the campaign we just... just no, when did I play a Miramoto? You've never played... I don't no, think I you've did. ever I played a Miramoto. No, I just did. The one that died in the first day of the campaign. She, okay, but she wasn't act, She wasn't mechanically a Miramoto. No, she was. It was her brother that wasn't. What? Yeah, she was a Miramoto mechanically. Oh, well, that's that's so odd. Yeah. Well, never mind. Yeah, because we had to change. We changed our characters. <laughs> the internet's so fuck you guys. But like, no, we changed their our last names to Miramoto because my character was trained as Miramoto, and that was their family backstory. Okay. So my character was a Miramoto. She was a dual wielder. Well, never mind. Yeah. Um. But that was my first time, and I didn't really get to actually utilize her that much because she died in the first episode of that day. Which you will have heard if you listened to the previous episode <laughs> of this series on Legend of the Five Rings. You're getting better at this. Uh, <laughs> Uh, but no, so I haven't played many, but when I started my campaign, I had to learn about like the Sheba yeah. and like other versions of 
like uh, to be able like to like gameplay properly for my players, I had to learn what the Shiba could do. The and how Shiba they are so cool. They're pretty great. Like like and uh, Casey, who played at our table, uh, played her really really well. Yeah. yeah. Did she, did she use the guard others as a free action? Yes. So cool. whole time. So cool. It's the only reason Adam is alive. <laughs> yeah. Right. And like we talked about it before in the sense that um, she played the Shiva really well because she was not going to let her guard die. Yeah. That was her honor. That was what she was going to do. She didn't really give a shit about the mission to, to a degree. Like her goal was to keep this man alive. Yeah. And that played really well into the fact that it's the, the her Phoenix way. Right. How, how do you typically build and role play your Bushi? Roleplay my Bushi? Yeah. Uh, it depends on what their job is. If I'm a Yojimbo, um, I depend on the clan that I'm playing in. But if I'm a Yojimbo to somebody, like, they're my protection and they're above all else. If they tell me to do a thing, I will do a thing. Um, the shitty part is when you're told to do a thing and it's dishonorable. Well. Which has happened before in the past in a couple of campaigns that we've played in, right? And that it can happen. And that's the whole thing of, okay, what well, part of the Bushido code do I as a player like adhere to or do I as a person adhere to? And sometimes that's the issue that you're playing with at the table. See, I, I usually play my Yojimbo as like a parental figure, mm-hmm. even if they're, you're similar in age, right? Like, even if you're younger, it's like, no, no, we're not going to do this right now. <laughs> we're going to talk about that. We're going to wait until you've had a little less sake in you. Yeah. And then we're going to... <laughs> And, like, I'll, I'll play into that side of things until it is a direct order. Yeah. And then it's confirmation of the order. I want you to duel him. Are you sure? Yes, yes, I want you to duel him because he called me a bad word. Okay. I'm going to go and speak to a magistrate about this. There is approximately 30 minutes between where I am now and when I get to the magistrate. If you change your mind in the next 30 minutes, you let me know. Otherwise, I'm dueling this man to the death tomorrow. It's the equivalent of, can we sleep on it? (laughs) Exactly. Can we sleep on this decision that you've made rashly? (laughs) Like, being, being a bodyguard is so stressful. Yeah. As opposed to, okay, I'm a soldier. I'm an infantryman. Like, I put the pointy end in the dude in front of me. Whereas being a bodyguard is... I really hope my lord doesn't decide that this sushi offends him. Yeah. I really hope my lord is totally okay with the kimono that he was sent because I really don't want to have to go fight somebody over a dress. You know, like... <laughs> I feel like I've never been put into a situation where I have to fight somebody over a dress. Noted. Great. <laughs> <laughs> so you're only allowed to play Bushi from now on. <laughs> weirdly enough being like a a very hard and fast like person i don't necessarily play a lot of bougie yeah you you typically lean into playing a lot of shugenja yeah it's true yeah yeah i like them they're good people um, <laughs> is there any specific advantages or disadvantages that bring out the most of these types of characters so we've talked about advantages and disadvantages a little bit in like our intro episode yep. and like every once in a while we'll, we'll we'll talk about it but for those of you that are just kind of tuning in on this episode alone an advantage and a disadvantage are things that you can pick at the creation of your character that either add to your abilities to do things or subtract from you to be able to do things as a character, but then give you bonuses elsewhere. Yes. Ad- advantages cost you experience. Disadvantages earn you experience yeah. when they are chosen at character creation. When they are awarded within play, they don't cost you anything. Mm-hmm. However... Sometimes you don't want to be given a disadvantage during play, and sometimes you don't want to be given an advantage during play. Yeah, it's true. Is there a certain one that you, for advantage, is there one that you like to do when you're playing a bushy? 
Uh, I'm a big fan of the ancestral weapon advantages. Yeah. They're so cool. Because <laughs> all of the different great clans have an ancestral weapon associated with them. They're expensive. But it's things like, this weapon is indestructible and sunders other weapons easily. Or, when I attack you with this weapon, the chances of you seeing it and being able to dodge it are lower. Or, my armor TN is increased whenever I wield both of these weapons at the same time. Like, they're just mechanically so much better than the base weapons. Yeah. Uh, and if you have nothing better to do with your experience points, an ancestral weapon is really cool. And it gives you a role-playing... Backstory. Yeah, because Almost, yeah. your ancestral weapon isn't, like, one. It isn't just something that everybody has, mm-hmm. right? Like, not everybody is rocking around with the dragon twin sister blades. Like, they've been in your family for generations. You have notable ancestors who have wielded these twin sister blades. And now, because you've taken that advantage, you get to write me a backstory of, like, your two most notable ancestors who wielded these weapons. And I get to find ways of weaving that into the story that I'm going to provide for you. Yeah, because right? depending on where you are, like, it would add to your infamy and your fame. For sure, probably. Oh, 100%. To a degree. Well, and depending on what land you're playing in, that might play a big piece too. Well, they're, they're easily recognizable by people within your clan, mm-hmm. right? People will know, one, those are super ornate. And two, if they're members of your clan, hey, how do you have those? What nice weapons you have. Like, what's your deal? Sometimes it will get you allies and sometimes it will earn you rivals yeah people who think hey you don't deserve that mm-hmm. let me show you how much better i am than you or who did you steal those from or yeah, exactly there's so many different things that will crop up and it creates wonderful role-playing situations yeah i remember i chose an ancestral sword for my last character and the first thing he did was made her give up her samurai sword and i was like you can die in fire <laughs> <laughs> No, but I was going to say Daredevil is one I will always take if I am a Bushi. You would. <laughs> and Daredevil, for those of you that don't know, basically you just have no self-preservation care. You are just going to do the thing that gets the job done, even if it puts you in physical danger. But you get a bonus for doing it. Yeah. 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 It's a it's a solid advantage. Yeah. It's one of my favorite ones to do. Any disadvantages that you would take? I mean, the, the low-hanging fruit is brash. Right? Mm-hmm. If anybody says something that even slightly pisses you off, you have to answer it with violence if you don't pass a, like, basically a will save. Um, my my runner-up for Bushi is uh, Obtuse, because typically it's free, right? Um, obtuse is you have a penalty to all social rolls. Mm-hmm. So if you're looking for free points, take Obtuse, but it's boring. Yeah. It's, it's an easy couple of points that... You know, makes you do the thing that you're supposed to do really well. Fun ways of playing it are um, not necessarily being dopey or oafish or being kind of rude, but just being interested in other things. Mm-hmm. You know, um, you lean more into the, oh yeah, this this painting is really nice, but when I was outside, I saw this tree and the tree was really cool. You know, like I'm going to go and sit beneath that, that Sakura tree and I mean, you guys have fun all talking about how awesome this painting is. I'm going to see it in real life. I'm going to go, yeah, I'm going to go, I'm going to go live. Y'all have fun doing your thing. And again, you can place so many of these advantages and disadvantages to the spirit of what they are as opposed to the letter of what they are. Yeah, no, I agree. Because I was going to say Driven is one of the ones that like drives me bonkers and it's cheap. So for anyone who knows, it's only two points to take Driven. Yep. And it's like the whole concept that like this one goal in your life takes over everything, including like even the Bushido code. You will disgrace yourself to reach this goal is what Driven is. So it's weird to me that it's a disadvantage that's in my mind quite cheap. 
yeah, like it feels like it should in some ways it feels like it should give you more points but it depends on how you utilize it and how often these things will come up yeah. right like it is the gm's responsibility to pick at your disadvantages and empower your advantages yeah and uh, like one of my failings is that i completely forget about people's disadvantages sometimes oh my god don't even give me <laughs> don't even get me started like <laughs> Oh, yeah? Is there, is there a time that pops up where I've just forgotten about a disadvantage no, of yours? No, not you. It was more along the lines of, like, I remember telling you about this when my players first built their characters, and you get a certain amount of advantages and disadvantages to build your characters, and all of mine maxed that shit out. Of course. So all of them had, like, three to five disadvantages. And, like, trying to... And, like, some of them are easy, like, lost love. Some of them are easy, like, you know... Um, anyways, like, some of them were quite simple to, like, navigate. But there were some where I'm just like, I don't know how to bring that into the story. <laughs> the, the rule that I've started to lean into is if your disadvantage is not character-defining... Yeah. You can't take it. Fair enough. Right? It has, it has to be strong enough that it's something that affects you on a daily basis. Okay. Otherwise, you can't take it. Yeah. Fuck you guys. <laughs> all right let's talk about shugenja okay shugenja are the priests and scribes of rokugan as well as the envoys of the fortunes and the kami and they are the keepers of their clan's secrets they are able to create powerful spells by offering prayers which are written upon scrolls called ofuda the magic of the shugenja is drawn from one of the five elements fire air water earth and the void which conveniently are the five rings that's crazy. Isn't that weird? <laughs> Shugenja exists in every aspect of Rokugani life. Yeah. From the moment you're born until the moment you die. It is the responsibility of the Shugenja to be there and to guide you spiritually. There is a Shugenja there who blesses you at your birth. There is a Shugenja there before every duel to make sure that nobody's cheating. Yeah. There is a Shugenja there at your wedding, at your funeral. There are so many responsibilities of Shugenja, specifically because Rokugan is a society based heavily in religion. Mm -hmm. It is a society where you know that the gods exist, and you know that when you die, you will go to a place where you are judged by the gods, mm -hmm. and their judgment determines whether or not you return as a butterfly or someone's bath boy. Yeah, yeah, and I think that, like, I like the fact that you know that they exist. Because in D&D, &D, obviously, you would know that they exist. Because if you're a cleric or a warlock, you have made a pact, you have made a sign, you have signed a document to say this is a god or a pantheon that I am following. This is where my power comes from, right? But there's nothing to say whether or not that is the person you are talking to yeah. in D&D. &D. There's a lot of things where, like, your cleric pantheon or whatever it could be, you would think it's one thing, but it could be another, and you won't know. Oh. Whereas I feel in, like, the Rokugani culture and how it's developed, if you are worshipping a kami, you know it's that kami. And you know it's that element, and you know it's that spirit. And if it, shif if it shifts and it feels off, you know something's fucked up. So there, there are a couple of different, like things that Shugenja worship and interact with specifically, and then they offer prayers too. Yes. Right? There are the Miko Kami. The little guys. Which are the elemental Kami. Yeah. Right? So uh, fire, air, earth, and water all have Miko Kami associated with them. The void does not. Yeah. Each of the little elemental Kami that Shugenja pray to and interact with, it, they're asking them favors. And typically, you're offering them deals. Mm -hmm. So... Each of the kami behave in different ways and have different wants and needs. But the, the end result is, hey, little buddy, I need to set this house on fire. And if you help me set this house on fire, I will build 
like 40 paper lanterns and I will float them down a river for you. And the fire commie's just like, oh, that's pretty sweet. That sounds great. Yeah, that sounds great. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll light it on fire. I'm going to light it on fire for you, homeboy. And like they do it. If you're a Shugenja. Mm-hmm. The Shugenja also pray to fortunes. So again, we, we spoke earlier about how there are fortunes of a variety of things. There are fortunes of steel. There is a fortune of good food. There is a fortune of sake. And this the, title is bestowed on you from... Typically, they are bestowed by emperors. Yeah, okay. Um, and they are bestowed posthumously. Mm-hmm. The seven big fortunes are all things that samurai should aspire to in life. Mm-hmm. All things that samurai should hope for and things that samurai should pray for. Um, okay, some of the important fortunes. Uh, Amaterasu, the first sun. Onatongu, the first moon. Yakumo, the second sun. Hitomi, the second moon. The Jade Dragon, the third sun. And the Obsidian Dragon, the third moon, right? Mm-hmm. The seven fortunes of Rokugan, again, the big things that we should all want and that we should all aspire to are romantic love, strength, Wealth, honest work, wisdom and mercy, contentment, and longevity. And there is a fortune associated with each of those things. And it is the responsibility of Shugenja to help us pray for these things and to these people. Mm. And to ensure that our prayers are heard. Love it. Yeah. Uh, Again, they also act as scribes. They are some of like the history keepers of the empire. They are highly respected throughout Rokugan. Yeah. Because it is acknowledged that they are the only gateway to the spirit realms. They are the only people who can speak with the kami and the fortunes. Yeah. On a regular basis, when you look at them from a stat block, they usually are your more high intelligence, like high awareness, high, like perceptive people mm-hmm. to a degree, depending on what, again, what school you choose and what your schooling is and how you're taught. But like when you're speaking to a Shugenja within Rokugan, you, it's almost like speaking to a wizard in D&D or a scholar or a like sorcerer or what have you. You're expected that they have a certain level of intelligence and study to them, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and an important distinction to make about Shugenja is that they do not carry katana. Mm -hmm. So an important benchmark of being a samurai is having a katana and a wakizashi. It just denotes your status as a samurai. However, the katana is supposed to be the soul of the samurai, where the wakizashi is your honor. Most Shugenja do not carry their katana with them. Because carrying a katana demonstrates that you are not only capable, but willing to use it. Yeah. So, most Shugenja will only carry their wakizashi to represent that they are members of the samurai caste, Mm -hmm. but that they are not ready to defend themselves. Tool versus weapon. Precisely. Yeah. No, and I remember having that conversation with a lot of people when it was talked about whether it was respectable as someone's bushi, who is their yojimbo. Yep. Do they walk in front or behind? Right? That came up a lot. Right in a lot of different campaigns at different times, and it means something yes. differently when a bushi walks forward for a shugenja or anyone else. Basically, typically you will walk two steps behind and to the left yeah. of your charge because they're the boss. They choose where we go. Mm-hmm. If you are walking in front of your charge, it can mean a variety of things. It means that you really think that this area isn't safe. Yeah. It means that you don't trust. It was the trust aspect for me. Yeah. That you have sent your bushi in. You don't trust that you are safe in where I am or my zone. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Lots of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, typically, if a Shugenja is challenged to a duel or to something involving their honor, they will elect a champion, mm-hmm. much like a courtier will. And again, that's where bushi come in. It is their responsibility to defend Shugenja and courtier. Yeah. I remember having that conversation with, again... 
new players being like, what happens if I want to challenge someone? I'm like, okay, well, that Bushi Yojimbo that you've spent your entire life with, you've put their life at risk. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> that is what you are doing if you are wanting to duel someone because you are not going to go into that yourself. And the, the, the mentality there is twofold, right? You either know that your guy is the nut Mm-hmm. and is going to 100% do not pass go, do not collect 200, defend your honor and win, or you are accepting that you might lose them and that you will both suffer the consequences of that. Because when duels are issued, again, this is something that will pop off on in another episode, Yeah, the consequences of that duel are applied to both the duelist and their charge. Mm-hmm. So if it is a duel to first blood and it is decided that, you know, the winner will have to apologize and the champion loses, both of them have to apologize. If it the is decision a du- is made. If yeah. it's a duel to the death, they're both dying. Someone's going to lose a guy. <laughs> Somebody's going to lose two guys. <laughs> it's true. Two guys are getting lost. Yeah. But we, and like, this came up in my campaign in the sense, how do duels work, right? And we'll talk mm-hmm. about duels a lot later on when it comes to actually like learning about the role play aspect to it. But like the easy peasy breakdown is like you don't necessarily will duel to the death unless it is approved by like a lord or like your daimyo or what have you because the life of a samurai is not expendable. No. They They are are expensive. And that is a thing to remember. (laughs) Like, like, so do not get into a duel to the death for none reason. Like, it's a, it is a process to do. But duels to first blood, sure. Or play a game of Go. Play a game of cards, do a thing. Like, duels can be access to solve an issue in so many different ways. Yeah. But, like, yeah, when you're playing a Shugenja, it's interesting to have that dilemma of, if you have someone following you around and you actually have a Yojimbo, is like, when is it appropriate to do and not do? Well, and I, I feel like Shugenja typically respect that a lot more. Yeah. They acknowledge that, okay, you could die, and then it will be however much longer before you end up returning to this place in the karmic wheel. Yeah. And being able to earn your place mm-hmm. in the celestial heavens again. I also think it's like a twofold like introspection of, yes, if you win this duel, you will be doing your honor as a Bushi and a Yojimbo. Therefore, you are an honorable samurai, but is what you are fighting for an honorable case? Yeah. And if not, then what's the point of being honorable for a dishonorable case? I find that more often than not, Shugenja don't go out of their way to get into trouble and no. put their Yojimbo in trouble. No. At least not socially. Yeah. Right? Sometimes, you know. But that's a point to be said, because anyone new to Rokugan or like new to L5R and be like, oh, I'm a Shugenja and I have a Bushi that protects me. I'll just put them in front of me. You yeah. know what I mean? Like there's going to be players that are going to want to play it that way. And like that doesn't necessarily work well in the Rokugan society. Um, like it's just one of those against the grain kind of character builds, if you were to. Yep. And and sometimes it's interesting to explore those things. Yeah. Um, but it's something to be aware of in terms of how it fits with the society as a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, is there a certain school that you like your Shugenja to come from? Ooh. Uh, I think that the Tomori Shugenja is one of the most interesting. Mm. Uh, so the Dragon Clan Shugenja aren't... Their, their rank technique is about alchemy. So they bottle their spells... And you can use them at a later date. So you cast the spell preemptively and you store it. Mm-hmm. And then in combat or at a more opportune time, you turn that spell into a projectile or you give it to somebody else to drink it. And it gives you a lot of flexibility, which I find really cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
That's true. How about you? Uh, well, I've only ever really played as a player um, Dragon Shigenja, so yeah. But um, I, now that I've played a lot in the Phoenix clans and like learning more about like the Isawa and like how they operate and like it, it, it's just a lot different, right? Yeah. Because they're not as destructive. Well, the, the Isawa rank technique allows you to pick an element and become better at casting Basi- in that element. Basically proficient in that, yeah. And then, <laughs> but then, then you, you don't give up a proficiency in exchange. Right. Yeah. So there you are. I and it really plays to the fact that like the Phoenix Clan are a knowledge based clan. They have the histories of the worlds. They have the largest library. Like the Phoenix are again honorable. There are sorry. Um, honest. Honest. And like so they just they know a lot of shit. Well, and Izawa's tribe were the first Shugenja. Yeah. Right. Izawa himself was the most powerful sorcerer that the empire had seen at that point. Yeah. So naturally his bloodline would produce the most powerful spellcasters in the empire. Yeah. And again, that's where like the elemental council exists, right? They're mostly Izawa. Mostly Izawa. Except for other reasons, X, Y, Z. But, <laughs> <laughs> but like when, when I first started playing Alphavar, the dragons, again, to your, they were the ones that I enjoyed the most because they were very aggressive and you can fight without aggressive, but you can actually go into a battle and utilize them quickly and effectively. Yeah. Whereas magic, again, in Alphavar works very different where it, it takes time to pray to the economy to say, can I do this? Yeah. And then they pop it off when they are ready. It doesn't yeah. matter what you want. It pops it off when you're ready, right? Whereas, like, so, like, when you are playing a dragon and it's your first time being a Shugenja, it's a lot easier to be uh, incorporated into battle. Huh. Uh, whereas, like, if you're playing an Asawa, yes, it takes a little bit more time, but you can be strategic with it, right? So it just depends on what kind of Shugenja you want to build. So, but no, I've definitely, like, fallen for the fucking Phoenix. <laughs> oh, of course you have. <laughs> Um, are there any advantages or disadvantages you would uh, bring into these types of like shugenjas? Um Ascetic is a good one to play, depending yeah. on which clan you are playing it from. Uh, ascetic is basically a disadvantage where you can't have anything outside of your starting kit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and any time that you would gain status, so like notoriety in the world, uh, that gain is halved. It's It gives you a bunch of points for taking it. Mm-hmm. And I feel like most Shugenja should sort of be ascetics. Mm-hmm. You know, they shouldn't really care too much for the worldly. They shouldn't really have a desire to have, you know, you know, gold chains and brand names. You know, like that's not their vibe. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, like I, I imagine most Shugenja to be more spiritual in nature and more grounded and more concerned with whether or not they are venerating the kami appropriately as opposed to look at all my shit <laughs> look at what i got <laughs> yeah um the advantage that is usually a go-to for me is friend of the elements yeah because it's whenever you're making a roll of that element you just add an extra die and it's yeah. like okay good, good shit which like technically doesn't work with spell casting rolls for no nope it, like, the rules is rolling. A spellcasting roll is different from an element roll. Oh, fair enough. Okay. But it sort of aligns very well with the way that a lot of the classes are broken down. So if I'm playing an Earth Shugenja and I take Friend of the Elements Earth and, oh, yeah, you need to make an Earth roll because you're being poisoned right now. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, I'm an Earth Shugenja and the Earth Kami are like, you can't poison our buddy. <laughs> <laughs> So I I like that from a storytelling perspective. Like the elements bolster your attempts at doing things. The elements actively look after you, even if it doesn't make you a better spellcaster. Well, that's fair. Yeah. I like that a lot. 
don't know. I like Richard Genger. I like, like, the sociable ones. So I enjoy, I would love, I, I like the idea of playing, like, a, like a gullible Shugenja. Yeah. Or, like, just, like, add those social aspects to them that make you roleplay them as a social construct. Because there are courtiers, obviously, that will, when we'll talk about them next, that will take a lot of, like, the advantages and disadvantages of being a social character. But I like adding those into your Shugenja. Mm-hmm. Because if you're looking at the tiers of people that talk to people in public, it's going to be your courtier Shugenja and then your Bushi. Yeah. Right? And, like, so if you're going to play a Shugenja... Adding a social advantage or disadvantage is almost something that you're going to want to almost be required to do because you will not always have a courtier with you when you're wandering around or doing your thing, right? Yeah. And like by virtue of being a Shugenja, people are going to talk to you. Yes. They're going to seek you out and say, hey, we, uh, we've had a couple of births recently in our village and we needed somebody to come bless them. We don't have a resident Shugenja. Can you be a homie? Yeah. Or... Oh, uh, Mr. Shugenja, could you come and like bless our crops? Because it would be awesome if we had a good yield this year. We'll make you a meal. We'll take care of you. Please just like come to our, come to our little podunk town, you know? Yeah. And like, even to the point where like we were playing in a campaign that was very much a heavily like battlement campaign and I played a Shugenja who was built to fight things, but we would go into town and there'd be a missing Shugenja at the temple. And I'd be like, okay, I know that I, I, I can't not, I can't leave this temple unattended. Right. And yeah. so I would spend the day doing temple things, which would require social aspects. Yeah. So that's my only advice for playing a Shugandra is yes, they are built for battle. Yes, they are built for all these things. But at the end of the day, people are going to talk to you and they're going to respect you. And it is important to not play them like a wizard or a sorcerer. Yeah. Because they're not. They're more in line with a cleric yeah. or a priest than they are a conduit of magical energy. A war warlock or what or have you. warlock. Yeah. They are a religious figurehead. Yeah. And they are a place of comfort for a lot of people within the Empire. Yeah. So you have to play the character with that in mind. Yeah. Respectful spirits and blah, blah, blah. I mean, sometimes you don't play it like that at all. And pe- some of the NPCs will look at you like, oh, so that's how we're going to do this. Not- <laughs> <laughs> you a bitch. Uh, all right, courtiers. So, courtiers are the politicians and higher civil servants of Rokugan. They are often diplomats sent by a clan or a family to another clan, family, or even the emperor's court. Some can be sent officially as ambassadors or to study a technique or an art within another part of the empire, or to attempt to foster trade and commerce with others for the benefit of their clan. Some are simply administrators, attendants, or ministers. They're your talkers. They do all of your talking. They're your wordsmiths. So, in order from... Most combat to least combat, you have Bushi Shugenja courtier. Yeah, courtiers will not fight. In order from most social talkative to least social talkative, traditionally, it is courtier Shugenja Bushi. Yeah. It is the job of the courtier to enact trade, to speak on behalf of their lord, to write letters and missives and ensure that the wheels of the empire are greased. Yeah. Most courtier spend a lot of their time just writing letters for their lords. I like writing letters. <laughs> like, having pen pals as a part of your backstory is a totally valid and important thing to do. Yeah. Because those are all contacts. Those are all people that you can lean on and get to do things for you, depending on where you're going. Um, there, There's an awesome quote from one of the books where it is, 
you know, the, the Bushi's battlefield is out there, but the courtier's battlefield is within the courts. Mm-hmm. And they are both equally valid ways of getting things done within the Empire. Mm-hmm. Because a courtier saying the right thing to the right person will stop a shipment of rice showing up and deprive an army of what they need, right? A courtier showing up and making a good impression could be the difference between you know, one pairing being made at a court and another pairing being made at a court. It could be the difference between, you know, somebody becoming an imperial consort or somebody being married to a warlord. Yeah. Right? All of these things are the purview of the courtier. They are the only ones who get to speak on behalf of their lords. They have access to a lot of influence and a lot of power that the other two social castes don't have. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, they require the most protection. Not only because their words will get them in trouble, but because they aren't trained to engage in combat. Yeah. They typically take on an art or a, um, you know, a hobby of some sort to make them valuable Mm -hmm. beyond just being a talker because gifts are an important thing within the empire. So yes, you can be remarkably eloquent and, you know, very well respected, but if you can also paint or arrange flowers or fold an, an amazing paper crane, or you write poetry or you're an actor, like all of these things just increase your value as a servant. Yeah. And when we say court, what does that specifically mean to the audience? So seasonally, there will be courts held, which are kind of like parties, but largely like social obligations. So let's say I was to hold a summer court. I would write letters to all the people that I know from the clans that I felt it most important to invite. Mm -hmm. And I would say, hey, come to my castle. Let's hang out for a couple of weeks. We'll drink. We'll talk about politics. And we'll see who's going to get married at the end of it. (laughs) And it is an opportunity for matches to be made. It is an opportunity for competitions to be held to show who's the better surfer or who is better at Kimari, which is kind of like Rokugani hacky sack, or who is better at ribbon cutting, which is an an amazing way for Bushi to compete with each other. There are all of these different ways for samurai to demonstrate to their host that they were worth being invited so that they get invited back again and so that the influence of their host can be used in courts later on, Mm -hmm. right? So... The idea that, like, there's always another court, right, mm-hmm. is a double-edged sword. Because, okay, you don't make an impression at this court. There's always another court to make an impression at. However, if you make a bad impression at this court, you can guarantee that it will be hanging over your head at the next court. Or you won't even be invited back. Or you won't even... If you, yeah, if you make a you bad enough impression. right up, yeah. Um, and we have played a court game before that was a legitimate court. Yes, yes. We, we played... Uh, both the first and second Wolf Clan courts. Mm-hmm. And they were remarkably disastrous affairs. Phenomenal. Um, the, the Wolf Clan, which is uh, a bit of a homebrew clan that I put together, have terrible luck with holding courts. And uh, they have never ended well. Mm-hmm. However, their homies still keep coming back because they're like, <laughs> oh, you know, like 11 out of 12 months of the year, the wolf are really dope. So yeah. we're going to go to this wolf court and hopefully it won't end in disaster again this time. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, what are some advantages or disadvantages that you would uh, utilize? Uh, an interesting disadvantage to play is can't lie. Yeah. While, of course, you are never supposed to lie as a samurai, sometimes not telling the truth is advantageous as a courtier. And taking can't lie 
is a surefire way of putting yourself in a position where you have to be very creative with your role play. Yeah. Because you cannot outwardly lie, but that doesn't mean that you have to tell people what it is you know. Mm -hmm. Sometimes it's, I'm sorry, Sama, I cannot comment on this. Well, why can't you comment on this? Because if I did, I would get a lot of people in trouble and I would rather not be executed. You're not lying. That is that is honest to a fault. Yeah. But you're also not jeopardizing the people. You're giving away information, but sometimes you have to give away a bit of information to save the bigger bits of information. Uh, I like read, read lips. Ah, uh, yes. Read lips is a good advantage. I've taken that one as a non-courtier before. I've taken that one as a bushy. It's before. tight. It's a really good one. And ba yeah, basically it is that you can, it, it's an easier role. You get an advantage to your role to be able to see what people are saying at a distance. Yeah. Right. And I find that as a courtier, especially in a court, if you're trying to figure out who's, who is doing what and who's being bad at what. Um, especially if it's like a court that's happened after like a large event, mm -hmm. like it's a good way to gain information without being too involved in other people's business. And it's less risky to be involved in people's business. So my, my favorite advantage, uh, for court here and also for Shugenja mm -hmm. is Sage. Okay. So Sage, th there are a suite of advantages in L5R that give you one skill point in all of an appropriate skill type. Mm -hmm. So for Bushi, it's Crab Hands, which just gives you one point in every weapon skill. Mm -hmm. For um, some of your more nefarious characters, I believe it's... Um, I can't remember the name of it. It's going to drive me mad. But for Shugenja and Courtier and the lore skills, which is all of your knowledge skills, it's Sage. Yeah. So you take Sage and you just have one point of lore in everything. You're that absolute nerd who sat there in every court season and just had your nose in a book in every library that you could possibly find yeah. so when somebody's like oh man i wonder what tea this is you're the one who's like oh i know i know i fucking yeah i, I love tea. that it's phoenix that take it as a lower cost yes that makes sense yeah to me. phoenix <laughs> phoenix get it for cheap because of course phoenix be smart yeah <laughs> uh but yeah sage fantastic always because it, it gives you it can be kind of rough for your GM because it's like, oh, well, you know a little bit of everything, but it's only a little bit of everything. Mm -hmm. So that surface knowledge of the thing where they want to sort of bring you all in and feed you a little bit of information, awesome. Yeah. If you decide that you're going to invest in your intelligence a bunch and make it so that that one point of knowledge really goes the distance, then it can put holes in some storytelling, but it's all about what you decide to do as a storyteller. Yeah. Right? And like what's important to the storyline, what's not. Exactly. Like, it's still up to you to decide, right? Mm -hmm. I like that's the name of the one for performance skills for that is sensation. Yep. Yeah. Sensational. Sensational. Gives you like a, the one plus one rank in any skill for performances. Well, and the, the one for craft skills, I believe is soul of artistry. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, all, all the advantages and disadvantages have cool names. It's true. Sensational. Sensational. <laughs> um, are there any schools that you prefer when doing courtiers? Ooh. Um, the Scorpion Courtier is really cool. Yeah. Because it picks on your opponent's social disadvantages. Uh, one of their rank techniques is you get to know how many points of social disadvantages they have. And then if they have over a certain amount, um, they get penalties to rolls they make. Yeah. That you know about. So the, the Scorpion are cool and then they like to pick at your weaknesses. They find the holes in your defenses and they're like, okay, well, I want this. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm going to I'm gonna bring this to the forefront. I'm going to make you look bad because of this. Yeah. Right? I'm going to use all of these things to my advantage. 
And I think that the scorpion courtiers are some of the coolest in that regard. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the the crane courtiers. I was gonna say crane. Yeah, you're. Yeah, you want to go off about <laughs> tell me? Crane? No, you can talk. About no, 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 no. You go ahead. You go ahead. You tell. You tell. I don't us know enough. You say. <laughs> so the crane courtiers are the opposite. They're like, what is it that I can do to help you? Yeah. How can I They're make courteous. your life easier? They're so courteous. They're so courteous. <laughs> Yeah, no, the, the Crane Courtier School is is all about finding the perfect gift and making the person's life that much easier. Yeah. Making your stay, just be our guest. They're like Lumiere yeah. from Beauty and the Beast is a crane. Yeah. He, I, he's a crane courtier through and through. Was it Steve that played the crane courtier in the court game that we played? Or was it, uh, her name was Momo. Who was she? She was. So he played a Yoritomo courtier. Yeah. He played the I bully you into doing what I want yeah. courtier. Okay. Uh, it was it was Cole who played the crane courtier. Yeah, got you. That makes more sense. Yeah, the the doji courtier is all about trading favors, and I'm gonna do something for you now, and I'm gonna do this thing that you didn't think you could get done, and you're going to remember just how great of a homie I was. You're gonna right? remember. You're not gonna mistake this kindness for kindness, but you're gonna know that it was kindness. Yeah, yeah. Do, <laughs> do not mistake my generosity for generosity. <laughs> No, and I remember playing that court game because it was it was very much um, the 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 crane versus um, fuck the mantis the mantis yeah and it was like, it was a crane and mantis conflict using a dragon dojo as like neutral ground yeah and it was just very interesting watching that even though the characters they built were very strong independent humans like they definitely adhered to their to their tenets right. Yeah in their role play aspects and it was really cool to watch so and that was a true court of we were trying to resolve an issue yeah right like it was tell me your piece tell me your piece and we'll figure out a a collective agreement right yeah because i I guess something that i should have mentioned earlier was that sometimes courts aren't just let's have a barbecue at the homie's house sometimes it's so we're on the brink of war and we need to resolve this now we're going to convene a court in a place and we're going to talk about this for a couple of days to a week. Yeah, and figure that shit out. And like, you haven't run a lot of like true like court court games. No, most most of my court most of my courts are cookouts. Yeah, we, <laughs> we, we love a good cookout. Yeah, <laughs> we love a good hyper romantic cookout. You invited to the cookout. You're invited to the cookout. You're not invited back to the cookout. <laughs> you fucked up, my guy. You can go home now. Thank you. Um, yeah, no, it's very interesting, like, because, like, it's very different. I feel like that's what's one of the biggest aspects that makes it different from D&D and a few other role-playing games, is that no matter if you are a talker or a fighter or what have you, when you go into battle, you are extremely physically useful. Yeah. When it comes to L5R and courtiers, they're not built for battle. Can they wield a wakazashi if someone comes at them? Sure, but they're probably going to get stabbed first and they're probably going to bleed out before they have a chance to defend themselves. The best thing that you could do as a courtier in L5R if you find yourself in combat is hide. Yeah. Because it's not your job. No. Because you'll probably just get in the way. And that's a hard thing for a lot of D&D players and, again, other role-playing games as well are built that way, that fighting is an aspect of the world that in which you are playing in. In L5R, there's, a, there's an aspect to avoiding fights. And avoiding battle. In L5R, combat is an integral part of the world that you exist in. Yeah. But it's not always going to be an integral part to the character you're playing. No. And that bleeds into what we talk about a lot about how it it really creates character dynamic, like group dynamic. 
Yeah. You're all very good at one thing. There is no maxing out everything. You are good at this. You are good at this. There's a role that you play in the group that you have. There is a reason why your daimyo picked this weird, strange group to come together. Because he knows you're going to like you're gonna come across someone that you're going to have to talk to. You may get into a fight, so you might want a Yojimbo with you. Like Those are the pieces that they're going to think about to keep your people alive. Because right? yeah. again, the life of a samurai is not expendable. No. So, so that being said, we've talked about Bushis. We've talked about Shugenja, and we've talked about courtiers, but there's another weird section of the world of Rokugan. Um, Ronin being one, obviously those that are no longer technically samurai. Monks, which are just do whatever the fuck they want. <laughs> and then geisha thighs. <laughs> Love me some geisha thighs. So tell us more. So, to correct one of the things that you said, Ronin are still technically samurai. Oh, I know. That's just the easy part. They're just masterless samurai. Masterless. The position of Ronin socially is that they are not quite viewed and respected in the same way that samurai are. Mm. But they still are of samurai birth. Yeah. They are still viewed as being almost samurai. Yeah. And I remember having this conversation when I played a Shugenja that was a Ronin. Yeah. Uh, what what that would look like in the world of Rokugan, right? There, there's a hard and fast rule that you never ask a Ronin about their life before they became Ronin. <laughs> because typically it's it's a shameful thing, yeah. right? If your lord dies, you're expected to take your life as well, to serve your, your lord in death. Mm-hmm. But if you don't, or if you're told not to, then, you know, you become Ronin. You look for another lord. Yeah. If, let's say, you were born out of wedlock, but, you know, still were a gifted samurai status. You still have the the symbols of your status. Well, you know, you're Ronin. Um, sometimes you defect, right? There are all there are a variety of different reasons why a samurai can become Ronin. Yeah. Most of them lead to a life that is quite difficult. Uh, with monks, they exist in an odd position socially. Mm. Um, there are specifically clan monks, so there are monastic traditions within each of the clans, and they are viewed as being samurai. Yeah. Pretty cut and dry. The non-clan monks are not socially in the same place as samurai, but they are highly venerated and respected throughout the empire because they're holy people. They understand all of the, the various religious texts. They act on behalf of the people. They're typically loved by the peasantry. And if a monk shows up to your castle and says, hey, I've come to you know pray at the shrine in your castle, like you let them in. Mm-hmm. They get to do things that most people within the Empire don't. They get away with a lot of things that most people in the Empire don't. Mm-hmm. And because of that, they are a nightmare for most new GMs. <laughs> uh, one thing that I will disincentivize everyone from doing is playing a monk or a ronin in your first game. Yeah. Because you're making it harder for yourself and you're making it so much harder for your storyteller. Yeah, it came up when I was planning my my most recent campaign where like, oh, what's this Ronin thing? And I literally said, no. <laughs> <laughs> I, was like, I was like, I'm not, no, hard pass. I'm not navigating that. You're all samurai. Just figure it out. Like, <laughs> Yeah, figure it the fuck out. Uh, and then there are geisha. Yeah. So the, the what I said earlier about crying into geisha thighs being the only place that I cry, um, that's, that's sort of a thing. Mm. in Rokugan because you are expected to not show emotion throughout most of your life. You are not allowed to show emotions to other people unless they are your very close friends and in those instances it's still like a little bit awkward or shameful. The only people that you can show your emotions to are Mm non-people and so there's this misconception around geisha where they are uh, prostitutes. 
Mm-hmm. That is not the case. Yeah. There, there are brothels to go and see prostitutes. You go to a geisha house to be served sake and to have poetry read to you and to have music played for you. And then when you go to the private room to sit with a geisha, it's so that you can bare your soul and do the thing that you can't do with anybody else. Be a person. Be a person. Yeah. You're allowed to cry in front of this non-person. You are allowed to talk about how dissatisfied you are with your marriage in front of this non-person. You are allowed to go on about how all of these things in your life are difficult for you to carry by yourself. Because geisha don't exist. This is a thing that the Scorpion Clan abuse and abuse. The Scorpion Clan's main holdings are geisha houses because they are rife with secrets. Mm -hmm. But there is still a social understanding of if you need to have a cry, go talk to a geisha. Yeah, they're your therapists of the world. They are. And they are treated with respect. Mm-hmm. Like you don't you don't go and treat geisha poorly because yeah. those sorts of things get around and everybody knows that you're not allowed in geisha houses anymore. But at the same time, they exist in this non-person status, which is quite strange. Mm-hmm. In my games, I empower geisha a lot. Yeah, geisha are more akin to like idols mm-hmm. or um, like minor celebrities. But again, in keeping with the setting, they are still sort of in a world away, in a world apart. Mm-hmm. Well, because I can imagine that if you, it is known within the society that going to a geisha house is a place where you are going to bear your soul and be sad and cry and do these things. If you are known to be someone who frequents a geisha house, is there some kind of a conception where it is you are weaker than others? Well, like, it's not always like, hey, I'm going to go and cry with the geisha. No. Sometimes it's I'm going to go get drunk with the homies and, like, <laughs> w- watch my favorite uh, shamisen player do her thing. Yeah. Right? Sometimes it's, yeah, I heard they have a new dancer there and, like... You know, I, I love me some good silks and bells, right? Like, so there, there's a variety of reasons, but there's this deeper understanding around the importance of the role of geisha. Yeah, that's fair. No, we've played a couple of campaigns where geisha have come up a lot. Yep. Um, but uh, out of the three, monks, run and geisha, which do you tend to like to run in your campaigns more? I, I love monks. I know. I, like, I adore monks. My, my favorite of all of the... Of all the families within the Dragon Clan are the Togashi, mm-hmm. and they are tattooed monks. So their whole deal is that their tattoos come alive in the sun and allow them to do wild things. And as a product of having this magic ink in their skin, they see the world in a different way. And one of my favorite stories from the canon is about this Togashi meditating on the roof of a crane castle. And the daimyo of that castle is like, dude, you're not allowed to be up here. I'm going to send a letter to your lord. And he's like, well, if you have to send a letter to my lord, then please go ahead and do so. And so sure enough, he sends a letter to his lord to the effect of, hey, one of your samurai is squatting on top of my roof. How do you suppose I get him down? And the response from the dragon lord is, have you tried a broom? (laughs) Just swat him away. (laughs) And like... The, the most dragon responses in yeah. both of those instances, right? It's like, I don't know what you want me to do. I'm a thousand miles away, dude. Like, yeah. you, you let him stay up there for a week and change while you're waiting for my reply. Like, figure it yeah, out. Yeah, you basically <laughs> built a home up there now. I don't know what you want me to do. But I, like, I, I love monks because yeah. they, they get away with so much nonsense and they are so fun to play and so fun to offer people a puzzle. Mm-hmm. that can't normally be solved in a certain way. And sometimes the easiest way to solve it is just by thinking outside of the box. Yeah. Like, yeah, 
Just swat him away with a broom. Annoy him off of the top of your roof. Just, like, get out of your own way and do the thing that is not typically Crane. Mm -hmm. And maybe this monk will leave the top of your castle. But no, no, we can't do that. No, 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 no. (laughs) (laughs) How about you? Of of the three, which are the the most interesting to you? Uh, I mean, I do like monks. But we did just recently play in a campaign where we all became Ronin. Yeah. And that was kind of like my first experience with having to navigate in Rokugan as a Ronin. So I said we had to have a conversation of like, yes, I'm a Shugenja who is now a Ronin, but I still hold all the Shugenja things, right? So what does that look like in society? So we, like, there are many times in the game where I had to kind of stop and be like, okay, well, this situation has come up. Like, for instance, we went into a town where, yes, the temple was abandoned, but I'm a Ronin Shugenja. Would I still feel obligated to take over this temple and do the prayers and, like, meet with the people and do the thing? And you're like, absolutely, you're still a fucking Shugenja. <laughs> I'm just like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, and I imagine that every every Shugenja would deal with that differently, right? It's true. Some some Shugenja would view their place as a Shugenja as being a higher calling than their place as a samurai. Yeah. And some folks would say, well, no, I'm no longer a samurai. I'm not beheld to the people of this village. Like, they're not my people anymore. Yeah. Right? Whereas, like, in this instance, it was still technically normally inherited by people from my previous clan. Correct. So I was like, I do, I felt a responsibility to my, even though I wasn't a part of the clan, to my clan, quote unquote. Yeah. Right? So... Yeah, she did stay at the temple for a solid 24 hours and tried to do her thing, right? So, but like, those are the weird things to navigate within the universe. But to your point, I wouldn't do that to a first-time player. No. Because you don't necessarily know how to navigate in the world as a samurai. So now why would you try and navigate in the world as a non-samurai? Your your best experience starting the game for the first time will probably be to just play a bougie. Yeah. Even if you want to talk, even if you want to cast spells, like, if you have never, ever, ever played the game before and you want the most, like, straightforward experience, just play a Bushi. Yeah. If you are willing to invest in learning more complicated mechanics, play a Shugenja. Mm-hmm. If you are willing to play a game where you will not be fighting at all, but most likely you will be doing most of the facing for your party, and you are willing to read the lore mm-hmm. of the world so that you can understand it properly, play a courtier. Yeah, no, and I feel like my my group that I played with in my D&D group that switched into L5R played that phenomenally. Yeah. The person who wanted to be the face of the talker, Adam. The Shugenjas that were willing to do the magic thing but still kind of be the front face talkers, Dan and Mieka. And then, like, the other ones were like, I just want to hit a thing. Be <laughs> You know what I mean? Like, it was... <laughs> And it made it really easy. Like I said, I gave you, they gave them three clans. They both, all th- all six of them paired up and picked a clan and then they worked together. Yeah. So like, even if one did more research than the other one, it helped them both. Yeah. Right? And that was a really, really good dynamic to start with when choosing between courtiers, Bushi, and Chugenja. But no monks run into Geisha in that one. Sorry, guys. I gave them a monk though. I threw a Tagashi at them. I did. And then unfortunately the dragon fell in love with him and I was like, mm. Played him too saucy. Love me a good Tagashi. <laughs> now, I'm not a Tagashi, but as a Tagashi. As a Tagashi. <laughs> in, in your real life, would you consider yourself a Bushi, a Courtier, or a Shigeja? Ooh, I mean, are, are those my only choices? Those are your only choices. Because we all know you would choose Monk if I gave you that option. Of course. Um, I, but between the three? Yeah. I would say that I'm probably a Shugenja in our friend group. Yeah, I can see if, that. if I look at, you know, all the people that we have, I am the most uh, spiritually inclined. I am the most uh, sort of halfway between a talker and a fighter. Mm-hmm. But I, I lean more into that um, 
spiritual esoteric side of things i'm uh you're a monk that's fine i mean yeah i'm a monk it's i mean the the the, the, ta- the tattoos and the fist fighting speak for themselves fair enough it's okay i'm a geisha uh so... hey, <laughs> let's be real everybody cries to me it's fine but did they cry into your thighs sure decent <laughs> All right, so that's all for today's episode in this series on Legend of the Five Rings. Make sure to like and comment with which role would you like to play in your first game of L5R. Don't forget to follow or subscribe because next episode we will focus on how to stay out of trouble and behave properly in the Samurai Sadness Simulator. For more info and details, please check the show notes. When you're resolved from the beginning, you will not be perplexed. This understanding extends to everything. Be resolved, young samurai, and tell the world what you have witnessed here today.